Of age 45 plus job seekers, 63% are unemployed for more than a year versus only 36% of age 18 to 24 job seekers. But employers rate highly the job performance of people above 45 they hire. This is from the research findings at Generation, a not-for-profit of McKinsey focused on skill building. Mona is the founding CEO at Generation and in this episode, she shares how Generation is reimagining global employment. Hello and welcome to the Human Works Podcast and this is your host Anish Lalchandani. The future of work is uniquely human. On this show, I take you on a journey to explore different perspectives to learn grow and thrive. Hi, everyone. I'm delighted to welcome Mona Murshid, founding CEO at Generation to the Human Works Podcast. Welcome to the show, Mona. Many thanks, Anish. Please, can you share with our listeners a bit about yourself and your role at Generation? Sure. So I'm Egyptian-American, and I'm the founding global CEO of Generation You Employed, which is a global employment nonprofit. And what we do is recruit, train, and place learners into careers that would otherwise be beyond their reach. And I'm based in Washington, D.C. Wonderful. And I'm like curious, how do you do that? I mean, what's the method or process you adopt at Generation, which helps you to reskill people and put them in, in, in back into jobs? Sure. So Generation has a seven-step methodology. So we begin by pre-confirming job vacancies with our employer partners. And it's really important to start with that step first, because we want to be sure that when we train our learners that there is a job on the other side that's waiting for them. So after we pre-confirm the job vacancies, then we recruit our learners. Then they experience a four to 12 week boot camp that is profession specific. And today we work across 35 professions spanning tech, healthcare, customer service, and skilled trades. And in the boot camp, it's activity based. So that means that it's 80% practicum. It's based on the daily activities that you're expected to do once you're in this particular profession. And we have interwoven technical skills, behavioral skills, and mindsets into each module. So our goal is that by the time our learners complete the program, they can operate at peak productivity and quality for their tenure, for their role. And then in parallel to the bootcamp, we offer social support services. So that includes mentorship. And in some of our countries, that also includes a stipend. And then once our learners complete the program, they then interview with our employer partners. And then once they're on the job, then two things happen. One, we continue the mentorship for the first three to six months on the job because we want to make sure that our learners are thriving. And the first three to six months makes a really big difference in terms of whether they're able to continue to excel. And we start to track the return on investment, both for our employers and for our graduates. So for our graduates, it's their personal and financial well-being. And for our employers, it's the cost for hire, uh, productivity outcomes, quality outcomes, retention, speech to promotion, and so on. And then all of this creates a lot of data. And so then the last step is to use that data. We now have about 17 million data points across our learners across the spectrum. And so we use that data to continue to improve and to figure out what worked and what didn't and to be better the next time. Wow, I think that that sounds like a very comprehensive process, I would say. Quite a lot demand-led looking at what the jobs are. And then I think also looking at activities and deconstructing a job and then looking at continued support through mentorship. Yeah, absolutely. 
And for that reason, you know, just in terms of our outcomes, so we started in 2015, we now have 14 countries and we have an 82% job placement rate within three months of program completion. And our graduates earn three to four times an income what they had previously. And it really is down to the seven steps. Yeah, I think the rigor of the process, I can see, plus I think the way you are measuring it and improving it on an ongoing basis actually is also very important. And to that point, you know, what would you say is one of the biggest achievements of projects which you really like the way it landed or the way it kind of unfolded? Which project would that be? Um, honestly, we're proud of everything that we do in each of our countries. What I would say is that one of the things that struck us the most is the durability of the seven steps. You know, so the, the seven steps we had right from the very beginning, we continue to have the same seven steps today. It What varies is how we implement it in a given country. You know, so we might do recruiting door to door in one country. We might do it via social media in another. We might do it you know, predominantly on the basis of student, of graduate referrals in a third. So that's one part. It's just that, that the method is tried and true, if you will. And the second, I would say, is the durability of the outcome. So this past summer, we did a alumni survey of our alumni from two to five years ago. And what we found is that 70% continue to be able to meet their daily financial needs, and 40% are able to save for the future, and 89% continue to feel very tight and close to the generation community and want to help the next generation of generation. So it's the building of that community. And then just more broadly, I mean, we just continue to learn every day, right? You know, the more that we do, the more we realize we have yet to do. And that also really drives us. It makes sense. I think you talked about, you know, mid-career levels. So was there any particular reason why a focus on that particular segment, if you can help us understand a bit more about that? Sure. In 2019, we altered our mission vision to incorporate learners of all ages. Previously, we had been purely focused on youth, um, you know, so the age 18 to 29 population. We expanded to focus learners of all ages and particularly on mid-careers because there's actually very little attention that's given to this population, um, surprisingly so. So when you look across OECD countries, 40 to 70 percent of the long-term unemployed are age 45 plus or age 50 plus. And yet when you look at programming and you look at research around this population, there's actually surprisingly little. And lastly, with the with the impact of COVID, it actually has very strongly hit the mid-career population who were either exited from their jobs or who now need to find completely new jobs because of the COVID impact. So we actually began to serve the mid-career population in Singapore. So that was uh, starting in 2018. And since then, we then piloted programs in another five of our countries and now obviously across the network. And then this past summer, we released research on the unemployed mid-career. Um, and so we surveyed unemployed mid-careers across seven countries, mid-careers who had successfully switched careers and those and unemployed youth in addition to employers. And I'll just share one factoid that came from that research with you, which for us was one of the most striking, which is that when you ask employers the extent to which they feel that difference, the CVs of different age brackets are fit for purpose against their job vacancies. Only 18% of mid-career applicants were viewed as being fit for purpose. 
And then when you ask those same employers, how are mid-careers actually performing in their current entry-level or intermediate jobs, you find that 87% are performing as well, if not better, than their younger peers. And 90% have the same retention potential, if not higher, than their younger peers. And so it's just this complete juxtaposition of perception and what the reality actually is. And so this is yet another reason for why it's so important to actively support this population of mid-careers. That, that, that makes sense. And you, you talked about pandemic and the impact it has on unemployment and you know people. In terms of your plans and generation, how has that shifted or impacted in the last 18 months or so? In many ways, as, as with most organizations across the world, So I'll just name a few. I mean, when the pandemic hit, and you will remember that Italy was one of the countries that was first hit in in the the first wave following China, we actually altered our service delivery in that we realized through conversations with healthcare systems that there was very little online modules that from a practicum basis could support healthcare professionals in how to treat COVID-19 patients and also how to take care of themselves simultaneously. And so this work for us began in Italy. So we took our curriculum and instruction team with our country teams and created modules for nurses and doctors and other healthcare professionals and so on with just even basic things of how do you put on PPE? What happens if there's a tear in the PPE? How to manage ventilation and so on and support for for patients, infection controls. And so we ended up doing this work across five, six of our countries and over the course of last year supported 300,000 healthcare professionals through the training. So that was something that we never expected that we would offer, but um, we felt that was a way to be of best service to the community at the time. So that was one. The second is obviously all of our programming shifted to online. And it began with teaching online what, you know, and over Zoom, what we had been teaching in person. It then morphed to actually creating our curriculum from scratch to be offered online. And also for each of the seven steps of our methodology to offer each step fully online or in blended form. So we've now done that. And, uh, you know, so all of our programs now are online or blended across the world. The last thing I would say is it's also affected the way that we think about our supports to our learners. It's affected our portfolio. So we now have a much stronger emphasis on healthcare and tech jobs than we did previously. We've also introduced green jobs as a profession, or as a set of professions, because of the regulatory changes that we're seeing as well. Um, you know, so the whole build back better or build back different movement. So those are some of the changes that we have been experiencing and continue to experience. And I think the different job families or job sectors are growing. Yeah, either there's a demand or there's actually a response to some of the like health kind of issues. Uh, So you're right. And as you talked about the courses moving online or but hybrid, I know it's a a task in itself, uh, but how do you see the delivery and effectiveness of that? Have you seen any shift, change 
And even from a learner point of view, what's been the kind of, you know, feeling around that vis-a-vis in the past, I'm assuming it's a lot of it is classroom and, you know, face-to-face. Yeah, so we have been watching this very closely. And in particular, it starts with access, right? So one of our greatest concerns was that in countries with lower access to laptops or mobile phones or bandwidth, Wi-Fi, et cetera, that this would hurt the access to our learners. We So we've, we've worked very hard on that. So I'll, I'll give you an example in Kenya. We, you know, literally our very first pilot co- cohort to go online. of our learners had never experienced online learning before. 60% we provided laptops to. 100% we provided Wi-Fi bundles to. And really, you know, we were thrilled to see that, you know, 90% graduated from the program. 80% found a job within the first three months. So overall, what we found is we've been able to maintain the outcomes, so the employment and income outcomes that we had prior, you know, so prior, so in 2019, prior to COVID, and we've been able to so far navigate the access issues, but we continue to be very vigilant because one of the things we very much want to ensure is that we're not stopping opportunity to any of our learners. So, so far, so good. But again, it's early days and we continue to watch the space. Yeah, I think it's good to see the effectiveness of, you know, how that's landing. I think it's as per your kind of, you know, planned parameters in many ways. But then do you see like after things are normal, I don't know when that would be, you know, in the few months or years, would you see that going back to far more a hybrid or more face-to-face interventions the way you would approach it? So I think this is the new normal <laughs> that we're in right now. Yeah. So that's how we're treating it. So it's very much a view of we either are offering programs fully online or we're offering them blended, or so hybrid. I think the days of programs being offered fully in person are probably gone. But, you know, again, I think what we've, if, if the world has learned anything over the last two years, it's the importance of agility. And so our commitment is to support our learners in whatever way we need to, so that they get access to opportunity. And so right now that is online and hybrid, and we will see what the future brings. Shifting a gears a little bit, and you know, if I talk about employment and hiring practices, you know, what is your view around how the hiring is done today? And, you know, people are selected for jobs and what have you seen as part of your own kind of, you know, programs and as you're placing people, what, what is that? How does that space look like? Yeah, so I think we're in an exciting moment right now. In multiple countries, there is obviously a tremendous shortage of workers for vacancies. There is also, I think, increasing momentum around what I'll just call skills-based hiring in multiple countries as well. If I look at our own experience with employers, and this is small, medium, large, right? There has often been a very strong focus on the CV. And the CV has to have certain trigger words and has to have certain degrees. And in for those companies that are using AI algorithms, it also now has to have, you know, a string of certain trigger words in order for someone to be selected to, you know, just to be interviewed, let alone to get the job. And, you know, for our graduates, by definition, they are with us because they don't have the CV that is the typical one that the employer would typically be searching for. And so 
all of our work, and we've now had, you know, we have 5,000 plus employer partners across the world. All of our work is focused on demonstration-based hiring, by which I mean the following, that the interviews are structured around certain activities that are relevant to the job so that our employer partners can see whether or not our graduates can actually perform and have mastery of the job tasks that will make them successful in the role. And whether that means a role play, whether that means showing the portfolio, whether it means demonstrating code, whether it means having to you know, make the pitch for the digital marketing campaign you just created, whatever it is, that has been very central for us. And so this is what we are increasingly seeing enthusiasm around, but there's still a long way to go with many employers, because as I said, just getting this, getting picked for an interview is in many ways an Olympics. <laughs> and so all the movements that we have within Generation are about supporting our employer partners to get increasingly comfortable with a fully demonstration-based process, such that your degree or where, you know, what you studied, it's an afterthought, but it's all about whether or not you can perform the activities of the role. And I can see that, you know, with the conversion rates and placements, you're able to do that with your partners quite nicely. Yeah. So what would be your advice to, or ask possibly from other leaders in the HR community, you know, who are like designing all these algorithms and policies around hiring, you know, so what would we ask for from all of those leaders? So I think a couple of things. One is to migrate to demonstration-based hiring. Second is just recognizing, you know, it's a full continuum, right? So when someone comes into an organization and they have a different background than what others have had, you know, the first three to six months in the role is really important for them to feel like they're in a community, that they are supported, you know? So all of these things have to be joined up, right? You know, so certainly there have been, particularly for the larger companies, they've made huge commitments, over, particularly during COVID, about diversifying hiring. But when you diversify hiring, you have to explicitly fish in a different pool, right? You have to then also make sure that there is a community waiting for that individual to support once they are inside the company. And so all of these things connect. And so doing one of them is great, but you must do the other things too in order for the profile to thrive. And so that would be my greatest request. It's demonstration-based hiring and a continuum of support. That sounds good. And on similar lines, what would be your kind of, you know, wish if you ask me from a policy stance from governments and other agencies who, who are either involved in the reskilling kind of, you know, work, what would be your ask around, you know, what should be, what should we be doing more of in this space? Yeah. So I think first and foremost, there is often a huge confusion between employment and training. And they are often viewed as synonyms, when in reality, they are absolutely not. So the focus on providing training, which is the case in many workforce programs in the public domain, that's great, but it must be coupled with a focus on actually getting those people into jobs. And 
one of the most powerful things from a public policy perspective is actually to assess not just whether someone is getting in, you know getting into a job but whether they are retaining in the job whether they are still in that job 6 months later or a year later within generation we've created a metric that we call cost per employed day and what that is is the cost of training someone alongside whether they graduated, whether they were employed, and whether they retain in the job. And you can do this over six months or over a year. That provides tremendous clarity about what's the actual, I'll I'll use the words, total cost of ownership of this program. And so that's one metric. Wage to cost ratio is another one which we've developed, which is what's the income that someone is earning relative to what it costs to train them. You know, so metrics like this that are focused on employment outcomes, income outcomes relative to the training, that's really important to ensure that the system is delivering value for those going into the programs and for the and for society as a whole i think that, that that's good to hear and also possibly refreshing point of view i would say you know because a lot many times what i hear is okay this is the number of hours of training we have delivered and done that that's great but how does it really translate into skill building or translate into employment is something to really also follow through i would say in many ways Absolutely. Yeah. You know, so many programs, so many partners, it's expanded number of countries. So overall now, what is your vision for generation in the next couple of years? So to look forwards, you always have to look backwards. <laughs> but, you know, so I when, when we started our programming in 2015, I would say the first three years were really focused on does this work, right? So does the methodology work? After that, we then spent the next two plus years, you know, rapidly expanding to new countries. Now, I would say it's very much a focus on how we can be partners in shaping the workforce or education to employment system in the countries where we work and beyond. And here, you know, it's just simply a realization of, you know, although we are very proud of the work that Generation has done to support now nearly 50,000 graduates. That's a drop in the bucket next to the volumes of unemployed and underemployed people across the world. You could have 100 generations and it's not enough, right? So for us, really being able to partner with governments and to share the methodology that we've developed and to work with them to embed it in their systems, that's a very strong focus of ours. Second is on the research agenda. So as I mentioned, we did our first original research on mid-careers this past summer. We want to do more and more of that because generation is very much at the nexus of thousands of employers and thousands of learners. And that gives us you know, a front row seat as to what is the challenge between the two. And so we can launch research that's highly targeted to what are the specific challenges we see that can then hopefully provide an unlock to systems across the world. You know, So that continues to be a very big part of what we do. And then lastly, as I noted, we have 17 million data points and we're really excited about how to also support academic researchers to be able to leverage that data and obviously with all the data privacy considerations so that we can test and predict what is it about certain profiles that has resulted in this journey versus that journey. How does this change result in a better outcome than that change and so on? 
And so this is all very much about how we go beyond our own programming to being able to be full partners for the entire ecosystem that's that, that's trying to get to different system workforce outcomes. Wonderful thing that that sounds great. And I think it's really good to see your, your plans and think, thinking around partnerships and expansion and the impact. That's really great to see, but I think it's also you know good to see the current impact you and your team are making. So thank you so much for that. It's been lovely uh, speaking to you, Mona. How can our listeners reach out to you? So our website is generation.org and you can see on the landing page if, if you're interested in a particular country, there's a drop-down menu for that. And if you're interested in our research and our data more broadly, then it's right there on the landing page. But we would be delighted to engage with any of the listeners who either want to be employer partners or want to become learners in the program or partner in our journey moving forward. Definitely. We'll, we'll add all the details in the show notes. Thank you so much for your time. Many thanks, Anish. Wonderful. Thank you for tuning in. I hope you enjoyed the show. See you next time.